here. Now, broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. It's a terrible thing that took place, and it's frankly a terrible thing that this information wasn't given to us a long time ago, months ago, when they got it. They could have done that instead of waiting till everything was finished and then all of a sudden spring it. But that's what the Democrats do. There are three things that we know right now. First one is that Dianne Feinstein is a political hack. But you already knew that. Second is that as much as this is about Brett Kavanaugh, it's not about Brett Kavanaugh. And the third is, if you care about your family, if you care about your kids, and if you care about, I don't know, this crazy old thing like our system of government, you damn well better get out and vote in 48 days because there is a heck of a lot on the line. I am uh, not in the underground bunker. I am uh, Brian Mudd, seven feet above sea level in West Palm Beach. Uh, always an honor and a pleasure to fill in for the great one, which, by the way, uh, the great one is um, observing Yom Kippur. We'll be back tomorrow. Now, a couple things. I do a morning show, WJNO West Palm Beach, a mid-morning show, WIOD in Miami. I am a guest contributor to Fox News, and I am a lover of fat, furry cats. My wife and I were not able to have kids, so we have fat, furry cats, and we're those people. But what i got to say over the next 10 minutes is something you need to hear. And I'm pretty sure it's an angle that's not been discussed, and it's a situation that may not have been considered. About this whole Kavanaugh deal. Now, by now, you probably know the lay of the land. And by now, you you probably know that we may not even have a hearing on Monday. Because while Kavanaugh has agreed to it, we have, uh, well, someone who's gone silent. Now, Christine. Where'd you go? She apparently no one show up for the, the hearing. We'll talk a little bit more about that coming up. But there is something that has been on my mind since all this broke over the weekend. And it's something that I think is so much more substantial than Brett Kavanaugh and whatever comes out of this particular situation. And I know I'm not the only person who has experienced what I'm getting ready to describe. I've uh, been in South Florida for going on 13 years. And I ended up marrying a very put-together woman, very intelligent woman, who I knew from high school. Got married when she was wrapping up college. And not long after I moved down here, she let me know that she was interested in a divorce. Now, I hadn't really been faced with much adversity at that point in my life. Because I was fortunate enough to to make some pretty good decisions. I was good with money. And I did rather well for myself at a pretty early age. So I found myself at 27 rebelling against pretty much everything I had done and had been up to that point. So having been a responsible business person and responsible with my career and having gone for a very put-together woman with no drama, I opted for about the inverse of all of those decisions. First thing I ended up doing, and this is the kind of stuff that you can't make up. You know, I'm down here in South Florida the home of Madoff, and all the many Madoffs. 
I've uh, done radio, and, and I was doing radio alongside running my business. And I, after the divorce, decided to turn over the financials to my business to somebody who I later found out was wanted by the FBI. You can't make this kind of stuff up. That was just the starting point for my bad decisions. I ended up dating a party girl who was into about everything. Complete opposite of everything that my wife was. And not long after we were dating, a few months, she ended up having the lease come up in her apartment. And she ended up moving in with me. Not a week after she moved in with me, she ended up losing her job. This is heading into the recession and down here in South Florida. Our recession even started a little bit earlier because the housing market was driving everything down here, and it peaked in 2006, and this is 2007 now. So that situation carried on for a while, and after eh, about six months or so, things really started to get out of control. And I realized, okay, I need out of this situation. Now, something I didn't know in the state of Florida, and you should check your own laws in your own state, if someone has been financially dependent on you for a minimum of six months, you have to go through an eviction process. It was my house. She had no claim to it. But she didn't have a job. She had been living off me, had been living in my home, everything. And so she was going to hold me to it. She wasn't going to leave. And going through that eviction process, what was already a volatile situation, really started to get out of control. This is a story I've never shared on air. And what I do, everything I do, it's about credibility. So down here, my local show, my divorce, talked about it on air. Talked about my business bankruptcy resulting from my bad decisions. And even talked about the bad decision I made with dating this particular person and how I got myself in this mess. But what I'm getting ready to tell you is something I've never shared on air and something that I had kind of relegated to the depths of my brain, hopefully never to revisit again. But it's what I've been thinking about since this whole Kavanaugh situation broke over the weekend. During that window of time, the approximate three months that we were waiting for the eviction to go through, she continued to spiral. And she would go pick up people in a bar and bring them into my home. It was absolutely out of control. Got to the point to where I barely ever wanted to go home because I did not know what I was going to walk into. And I had no recourse. So there's one day I get in there. It's actually night. I get home, and she's been drinking. There have been people over there. I mean, just bad scene. And I said, that's it. So you might be able to be here forever long. It was left. But I said, you cannot have people over here anymore. And she started in. She's in the living room in front of a coffee table. And she just serious as could be looked at me. And said, here's what's going to happen. I'm going to bang my head in that coffee table. I'm going to call the police. And I'm going to tell them that you did this to me. Now, for all the bad decisions I had been making up to that point, 
the reality of what was getting ready to happen in that moment hit me like a, a box of rocks. I had never in my life been so terrified. And I knew in that moment, I didn't say anything. I froze. And I'm just staring at her. Because I knew whatever I did next had the potential to, de- to determine the rest of my life. And I don't need to tell you that in this line of work, if I ended up getting arrested for domestic violence, let alone, who knows, actually arrested because it would have been uh, he said, she said. I mean, you know how that story goes. That's a career ender in, in addition to potentially ruining my life. So I'm thinking... What do I do? Again, still haven't said anything to her. So I'm staring at her, reach in my pocket, I grab my phone, and I call my dad. And my dad said, Brian, here's what you do. And he's very calm. He said, you keep your eye on her. And you keep talking. And she's listening to me talk to my dad, describing that she just threatened to do this to me. She was kind of taken aback. And he said, you, you get off the phone with me, you call the police. And you stay in line with them for as long as you can. And you keep your eye on her. And you go from there. And that's exactly what I did. Now, uh, happening uh, to to be in in South Palm Beach, the police were there in like three minutes. So it it did not take long. By the way, something else I learned in this particular process. If you have a domestic situation, and again... She had rights to be there, just like I did, even though it was my place, not hers. When the police arrived, one of us had to leave, and she said she wasn't leaving. So I had to leave my place after this threat. But here's the moral of of this story. I'm not the first person who's experienced that. There are untold numbers of other people that have been in that situation. Lord knows that there have been people that have actually ended up in trouble as a result of somebody like that. Here's the question about this particular situation. I don't know anything more than you do about this. But we have nothing more than an accusation that a 16-year-old kid inappropriately touched on the outside of clothing, Christine Blassie Ford. And this is supposed to ruin this man's life. That's bad enough for Brett Kavanaugh if it's false. But here is the bigger problem with this situation. I mentioned this is not about Brett Kavanaugh. This is not about whatever is going to be with the Supreme Court. By the way, you know what I think uh, Trump should do? I think he should scare the hell out of them. Say, all right, you want to take Kavanaugh out? We give you Levin. You imagine Levin, by the way, in hearings? Holy crap. I mean, you want to talk about must-see TV. Get your popcorn ready for that. Anyway, I digress. If, without any due process, without any evidence, without anything other than just an allegation for something that's not even serious enough to have statute of limitations attached to it. In other words, let's say that Brett Kavanaugh were guilty of this. What happens? His life's ruined, his reputation's ruined, his career's ruined. Does he go down? No. Why? Because even under our laws, what she's alleging, if true, 100% true, nothing would come of it at this point. So the question is, if this is successful, how many other people are going to get this idea? How many other girls? How many other women? Who knows? I mean, it could be guys too. Doesn't matter, right? 
But how many are going to go shoot? That could take down Brett Kavanaugh. Extortion? Reputation? We have a system of government that is set up the way it is, where you're innocent until proven guilty for a reason. Oh, and I know, me too, me too. It's all different. Yes, to a point. Here's what's different with the Me Too movement, the legitimate side of it. When you peel back one layer of the Weinstein onion, what did you find? Everything was there, one layer deep. How about Matt Lauer? Moonves. Insert perp here. You didn't have to dig deep at, at far, at far at all with this. And you found a lot. How many layers have we been pulling back on this Kavanaugh deal? We about done with the onion. And what we've got is this one allegation. I'm telling you right now, Sirius has a heart attack. That if this stands and this tactic works, this is not going to just happen to Brett Kavanaugh. This is going to happen to folks like you. It's going to happen to your kids. There's no telling where this goes or where this stops. And that is why this tactic, as perpetuated right now, cannot stand. We're going to continue this conversation on the other side. I'm Brian Mudd, and for the great one. Mud Lovin. Dr. Ford's allegations have come forward. Republicans have prejudged this and dismissed it as political. All right, that's Dick Durbin right there. Dick Durbin. Republicans have prejudged this, all right? Remember that for just a moment. By the way, uh, Brian Mudd in for the great one, Mark Levin. Mark will be back with us tomorrow. Now, uh, by the way, I I freaked Rich and Rich out in here. They're like, oh, my gosh, you've been through a lot. Yeah, I screwed up pretty bad for a year. But uh, happy ending to this story. I ended up winning uh, the wife lottery, amazing wife, amazing life. Everything's good. You know, just as quickly as you can screw things up, as long as it's recoverable, all good. So no issues there. But uh, anyway, okay, so Dick Durbin, Dick Durbin, Republicans have prejudged. Okay, so here's what Chuck Schumer had to say. We have two diametrically opposed stories. My view, Professor Ford's telling the truth. Oh, there you go. Hey, Dick. When's the last time you conferred with your leader there in the Senate? Who's prejudging who? In fact, all I've heard from Mitch McConnell and the President of the United States, for that matter, is what? Well, we should hear what she has to say. Guess what? She doesn't want to talk as of yet. We've had Brett Kavanaugh that has categorically denied what Christine, her claim was. He's willing to testify. She's not. And the most recent uh, update couple hours ago from her attorney, is that she wants the FBI to investigate prior to actually testifying. Now, imagine this. You have an accusation that you hand to a senator, and suddenly that is supposed to necessitate an FBI investigation about a groping incident when you were 16, which happened to be 36 years ago? Are you kidding? That's not our system of government. That's not... Due process. That's not the way any of this works. Which, again, is why I say this isn't just about Brett Kavanaugh. The reason I gave my very personal story was because it's been done. It's a tactic that has been used to intimidate people, to threaten people, to extort for a long period of time. But if it's carried out, 
so simply on the highest level at the top level of justice in this country, what do you think is going to happen going forward? What do you think is going to happen? What do you think the outlook of innocent until proven guilty is going to be for you, for your family, for your kids? What we've got on the line here is about so much more, and it's a bigger problem that we've been dealing with right along. Because are we truly equal under the law? The, the most important facet of the Trump presidency, I firmly believe, is not going to be the legacy on the Supreme Court. It's not going to be the work that he's done for the economy. It's the deep state. It's everything that he has been uncovering. Just imagine if Hillary Clinton had won. Everything that has been part of the conspiracy, from Hillary Clinton, the State Department when she was there, the Justice Department, the FBI, even folks within Congress that have been complicit. Would we know? No, we wouldn't. And that's what's on the line here, rooting this out. And that's why it's more important than ever that you get out and vote. Because if you don't in November and Democrats take back Congress, what do you think is going to happen? We're going to talk about this more and get your thoughts coming up on the other side. I'm Brian Mudd, and for the great one, Mark Levin. If you have a moment, I want you all to go to BrickHouseLevin.com. Just go there and click on the Buy Now button so you can read the reviews. Over 1,200 five-star reviews, I might add. But this one caught my attention from Steve in Denver. I'm upset with Mark because he's got me hooked on Field of Greens. What a great product. Thank you, BrickHouse, for your amazing product and great customer service. I'm a monthly subscriber, and I won't live without it. And you're welcome, Steve. And subscribing is smart. You save money that way. Field of Greens is made with real USDA organic fruits and vegetables and helps boost your immunity using antioxidants, prebiotics, and probiotics. Plus, they offer a 100% satisfaction guarantee or your money back. Go to BrickHouseLevin.com or call 833-RING-BHN. Get 15% off your first order with promo code LEVIN. That's BrickHouseLevin.com or call 833-RING-BHN, promo code LEVIN. This is the Octagon of Talk Radio, the Mike Levin Show. Call him now at 877-381-3811. Oh, I'm totally supportive. Yes, I'm very supportive. He's a, uh, I, I would say, few people that I've ever seen, that I've ever known, and I know people of great success, uh, have been so outstanding as Judge Kavanaugh. Well, that is obviously the president, and earlier today is actually uh, hosting the president of Poland. And, oh, by the way, this Kavanaugh thing in the mix of all of it. And so you heard what he had to say there and want to get your thoughts on the Kavanaugh situation. Let's go first to Danny in Texas. Danny, go. Yeah, you had said that uh, you, you, you triggered me with something. You said, he, uh, you know, we have a system where you're innocent until proven guilty for a reason. And it got me thinking, we also have a system of statutes of limitations for a reason. There's a reason behind that. If, if you were to accuse me of doing something uh, untoward a week ago, I could tell you where I was really at, who I was with, what I was doing. I could maybe show you phone records. There is no way I could defend myself from an accusation that supposedly happened 36 years ago. 
I could tell you I didn't do it, but I don't know where I was and what I was actually doing. You're exactly on point, and it's something that I referenced at the onset today, because what if the accusations were true? Something that uh, is worth discussing. What if the accusations were actually proven to be true? What would happen to Brett Kavanaugh? Well, even if everything that is alleged by Christine Blasley Ford were correct, Brett Kavanaugh would go home disgraced. But nothing would happen to him because of the statute of limitations. And there are certain crimes that are serious enough that they don't apply. Murder. Doesn't matter where you are in this country. There are no statute of limitations. Murder. Now, in certain states, you also will have it with other crimes, including rape, by the way. But this is not that. So even if everything were true in terms of the law, you know, you're not talking about a situation to where he goes behind bars or anything. We're not talking about some of the allegations that rise to the level of the impropriety of a bill. Cosby, of E. Weinstein, of, of any of these others, which, by the way, you know, you're, you're not seeing Matt Lauer hauled off either, are you? And uh, so in the context of uh, the, the due process, our system of government doing things the right way, uh, that is all part of the conversation. You could even advance the argument, and, you know, I've not heard anybody tackle this one. Let's say it were true. Let's say that Brett Kavanaugh actually went down the path of, this improper contact, I mean, forcible contact, uh, yeah, groping her, and she got away. He was 16. Should he have the rest of his life judged by the particular incident? There is a, a question and, and a path that one can travel down. And uh, be interested to get your thoughts. Even if we found out that there was some legitimacy to this, Danny, is that something that you believe is disqualifying to him? And I, I will tell you this: I didn't. Uh, I I obviously didn't do anything like that as a teenager, but I absolutely am not the same man I was 36 years ago. And if there were some bad things that I did do, that I probably could have gotten in trouble, gone to jail for a couple of months, didn't get caught. But I'm not that guy anymore. That's uh, you know a lifetime ago, and I, I I just think it's ridiculous that something was supposedly not important enough to mention at that time, but now at this time, when we were already told, by the way, before we knew who the nominee was, we were already told that they they weren't qualified. Um, and I think that's an important thing to remember. Um, they, the Democrats were prepared to protest this thing. And I could have told you there would have been a sexual allegation sure. before well. we knew who the nominee was. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. You make a good point in that the very people who immediately said that they were not going to be supportive and would not meet with him are also often the very people like Chuck Schumer who say, I believe her. So, yes, they tend to jump to conclusions. I'm sure, though, they have really thought all of this through and are doing all of their due diligence. Let's go to Ian in Chicago, who I think wants to take the other side. Ian, go. Well, I'm not taking the other side. I, I just have a question for you. Thank you for taking my call. You'd agree, wouldn't you, that as you sit here, you don't know whether Judge Kavanaugh is telling the truth or his accuser is telling the truth. You weren't there. Correct. You don't know, correct? Correct, correct. And so I'm assuming that you would agree that it's in the best interest of the country to hear from both of these people and find out, correct? And I haven't suggested otherwise. I, um, I find it interesting that, that at this point, she has not accepted the invitation to go testify on Monday. The most recent word from her attorney, unless something's changed here within the last couple of hours, but the last we heard from her attorney a couple hours ago, she wanted the FBI to investigate. 
and then maybe she would talk. And that is not the way our system of government works, which is why I talk about the premise. There are a couple things you'll hear from me, and everything that I say, regardless of the topic, flows off of it. I believe in the premise. And if the premise of anything is false, anything built on it, including arguments, are two. They're likely to fail. So I don't accept a false premise. And the bottom line is, if we do not utilize our system of government, if we do not go through due process, if we do not uh, you know, handle things the way we would for any citizen, uh, it, then we are doing a disservice to this country. And I will say again, this is not just about Brett Kavanaugh. Because if this tactic is successful and so thinly with just simply a claim that is unverified and she won't even testify under oath to it, I mean, certainly, Ian, I would imagine that you wouldn't say that Brett Kavanaugh should spend the rest of his life having his reputation, his career ruined, let alone being disqualified from the Supreme Court. Well, at this point, I don't know whether he should be disqualified from serving on the Supreme Court. Just because you have rigorous, listed rigorous academic tests and being a judge, that isn't the only thing that, that is qualifying or disqualifying for being a Supreme Court justice. Well, that's a different argument, though. We're talking about the specific controversy here with the, the claims. You know, ultimately, the senators get to decide that, and uh, they have, you know, their, their votes ahead of them. So, yes, I mean, you can have your own opinion independent of this, but that's neither here nor there in the context of this particular argument. Let's go to Patty in Colorado. Patty, go. Hi. Um, as a woman, I am horrified that this is happening here. I mean, this is something that I have always been on the forefront of women's rights. And, you know, I was in shop, the first one in shop class. I have five kids ranging in age from 45 to 18 here, three of which are girls here. I am horrified not only for my daughters, but also for my sons, that somebody could make an accusation here and possibly ruin their lives. And this is something that when I was 15, I was, I was raped here. And believe oh, me, wow. you remember things. You remember every single detail. I'm so sorry to hear about your situation. It sounds as though, obviously, over the course of time, uh, you, were, you were able to pick up the pieces, and, and it sounds like you, uh, you have a good family life. Uh, yes, I I have a wonderful family life, but it's something that that you do remember these things. So for it going from four four you know people being there to all of a sudden two people being there, and one of the people that she's naming is saying no, nothing like that ever happened here. I mean, I'm just I'm ashamed as a woman here that somebody would come forth with something like this here, something so sketchy. Number one, number two, the fact that having done that, that she won't testify. And number three, it scares me for my for my kids, for my sons. Appreciate the call. And, and uh, you know, so sorry to hear about the history, but so glad that everything uh, beyond that seems as though it, it's worked well for you. And that's exactly my point, the point I'm trying to make here. And I think sometimes y- y- there are certain things you want to think about in, in certain perspectives that aren't going to be there unless you've been in adverse circumstances. And, you know, thank God I was never in a situation anywhere near what Patty is describing. But if you missed it at the onset of the show, I was in a situation to where I had a person who was threatening to hurt themselves, call the police, and say that I was responsible, knowing that it would ruin my reputation, ruin my career, and you know who knows, potentially even worse if uh, I were found guilty. 
And if you allow something like this that is unsubstantiated and that is not vetted to disqualify somebody like Brett Kavanaugh, the implications, not just to Brett Kavanaugh, because if it can happen to him, it can happen to you. It can happen to your kids. It can happen to anybody. And there already are people out there that will do bad things. Something like this would only give more people that are inclined to do the wrong things more ideas about doing wrong things. And again, it's not just about girls that might try to extort guys. It could be anybody. It could be a, a man trying to do it to a woman. I mean, it just it doesn't matter. It's the premise. The other one I say is that there are two sides to stories and one side to facts. And it's always important that we live within the facts. We're all entitled to our own opinions, but we're never entitled to <laughs> our own ideas on what facts are. And the problem here is, what are the facts of this case? Okay. We have Brett Kavanaugh saying one thing. We have Christine Blasley Ford saying another. Uh, okay. So again, how does our system of government work? Our system of government doesn't say, oh, Brett Kavanaugh, you're guilty unless you prove yourself innocent. It's the exact opposite way. You get my point about the premise? You get my point about why this is so important? Let's go to Craig. Craig in Kansas. Go. Yeah, hey, Brian. Um, your opening monologue there was just spot on and uh, quite compelling. Um, basically, without due process, you don't have uh, equality under the law. And, and equality under the law is essentially freedom. If, yeah, I mean, that concisely is it. And we're either a country laws or we're not. And that's part of the bigger problem, by the way, about something we're going to get into next hour, which is the FISA warrant process. Hillary Clinton, who is beyond dispute a, a criminal who walks freely, what the implications are when we do treat people differently, when we don't treat everybody equitably under the law, especially when it's out there in the light of day. Uh, so, uh, uh, yeah, go ahead. I was going to say, I would like to also say that um, if you think that, that people are still innocent until proven guilty, um, <laughs> I hate to tell you, but that ship's already sailed. Um, if you and, had if yep. you, your, your opening deal there, if you had allowed her or if she had hit her head there, um, you would find out pretty quick that without um, without having prestige and having people and having connections um, with your past mistakes that you made, uh, pretty quickly you're guilty until proven innocent. And I was told as much. You're exactly right, because I actually ended up talking to a police officer I knew after that, and I said, what would have happened if she had done that? Uh, you would have been cuffed, taken away, and then we would have uh, ended up, uh, you know, going and interviewing both of you. So I would have been, you know, cuffed and, and removed and treated as though I uh, had engaged in, in domestic violence until uh, at least they had uh, disseminated the information. So, yeah, that's what's real and what isn't. And, and I will say again, you know, we cannot accept a false premise. And if we do not handle this according to the way we would with anything else in our legal system appropriately, uh, it is a false premise, and we are setting ourselves up for failure in so many different ways. And it doesn't matter how politically opposed you might be to Donald Trump or to Brett Kavanaugh or anything else. This is about something much more significant. And maybe somewhere along the way, if you're cheering on a false premise, maybe if somewhere along the way you think it's cool because you voted for Hillary Clinton, that she's able to escape when even 
based on what she has admitted to, she's engaged in criminal activity. And it's cool that she got away with it. We're all screwed somewhere along the way. That's why the most important function of Donald Trump is not, is not, I will say again, his legacy in the Supreme Court. That will probably be pretty long-lasting. It's not going to be the economy. It is the work he is doing to take down the deep state. That will have long-lasting implications well beyond the rest of it. But he's got to complete his work. And again, we'll get into all of that coming up in the uh, the next hour as well. I'm Brian Mudd, in for the great one. Mudd Lovin'. that she had this traumatic event and and I, I feel like it is it is not the Brett Kavanaugh that we know. It is so wildly inaccurate to his character that uh, I, I'm not I'm not certain where it's coming from. That is the voice of a woman that Chuck Schumer and company evidently do not believe. That is Megan McCallum. Uh, she has known Brett Kavanaugh since they were in school. In fact, we have had a, a number of character witnesses that have known Brett. Evidently, they were a, kind of a tight-knit group in school, including uh, former girlfriends even that have stepped up and said, yeah, you know, Brett, a uh, good guy. We've known him uh, right along. And But again, apparently, if you're Chuck Schumer in company and you've already made up your mind, you've decided which uh, which woman you're going to believe. And surprisingly, it's not any of these women that are speaking up on behalf of Brett Kavanaugh. I, I'm sure that is just merely an, an oversight. Uh, but actually, uh, before I move on, there, I want to get to the polling, the midterms, because there's a lot of information out there that's just a bunch of nonsense. But actually, uh, there is an angle I wanted to get to, and Jeanette in Florida actually has it. So, uh, Jeanette, uh, welcome to the show. Go. Hi, it's Danette. Uh, by the way, I uh, I honestly believe that Brett Kavanaugh did not do this. I honestly believe that. But I just want to know, I had somebody at work uh, tell me, well, you know, she passed a lie detector test. Well, I, I don't believe the lie detector test. And I want to know how to come back at that. What's your take on that lie detector test? Okay, I can give you something that is an argument for your friend, but it also is is something that I think is relevant in in context of the uh, validity of the overall polygraph testing. All you need to say, and this gets back to the premise, this is why I deal with the premise and with facts. Because if you stay there, you're going to be consistent from issue to issue. Is a polygraph admissible in court? No. Why? Because it's not a lie detector test. That's what people have assigned it to. It picks up various different characteristics, but it is not admissible in court. So, you know, what she did, in, and by the way, she did this in August, which is odd when you think about it. Because remember how we heard that Christine wanted to remain anonymous. And only this past weekend, in the 11th hour, did she come out. Now, if we're taking that at face value... Why a month ago did she take this polygraph? I mean, that's something that makes you go, hmm. At least it makes me go, hmm. Always ask questions about that. It would certainly seem as though there were intent there, would it not? If she were going to remain anonymous, uh, it wouldn't. But but does that help you? Well, yeah, true. And why was it sat on since July? I mean, they wait to, like you said, the 11th hour to come out with something like this. It's just... This is a, the Democrats trying to derail, uh, derail him from being confirmed. And 
there's more to this story, and I think I hope that they can find out what it is very soon. Now, I'd like to see him get confirmed. I appreciate you being there, and uh, and that's what it gets down to. If it's not admissible in court, then you know it's not really legitimate in the context of this conversation. But you can actually question the legitimacy of the timing of it if you're going to accept the premise that she really was just trying to be anonymous. One of these things just simply does not add up. But hey, you know, it's only about truth, facts. Brian Mudd in for the great one. Mark Levin. Do you wake up in the morning feeling sluggish and have to drag yourself through your day? Do you feel bloated, tired, and out of shape? Eating healthy is a habit, but most of us don't really know exactly what we should be eating, right? How much we should be eating and how to properly prepare it. This is why I drink Field of Greens every morning before I start my day. Just one scoop of Field of Greens has a full serving of real USDA-certified organic fruits and vegetables. Helps boost your immunity using antioxidants, prebiotics, and probiotics. Now this is real food, not some fake supplement lab powder. Just read the nutrition facts panel on the side. Go to BrickHouseLevin.com and get 15% off your first order with the offer code LEVIN. Now, you know you're not going to start cooking fresh fruits and vegetables, so let's not pretend. Just get one full cup of fruits and one full cup of vegetables every day with Field of Greens. Go to BrickHouseLevin.com, BrickHouseLevin.com, offer code LEVIN. He's here. He's here. Now, broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. are taking these records that the president has ordered to be declassified and they're doing their own review so they can come up with recommendations about what needs to be redacted in terms of protecting sources and methods. I'm told that once that review process is over, uh, a report or memo will be sent to the White House with those recommendations for redactions. That's a fancy way of saying that some parts of the records would still be blacked out. But ultimately, it is the president who has the ultimate declassification authority. He can accept these recommendations for redactions. He could accept some of them, or he could simply accept none of them at all and just ask for all of the records to be released to the public with no redactions whatsoever. All right, uh, Catherine Harridge, Fox News. Are you clear? That was as good of an explanation as I could find on how this process works, because one of the uh, questions that came up quite a bit today, when is it that we're going to get to read this stuff that the president is declassifying? And the answer is... Once they decide exactly what is going to be made publicly available. And for now, the folks that have access to it are going to uh, take a look at it inside the government. So we'll find out when we get there, but not yet. But there is something that is hugely important about all of it. And I mentioned last hour that one of the more important things, and by the way, I am Brian Mudd in fourth grade one Marco. Then he is observing Yom Kippur. Uh, he will be back with us tomorrow. I do a uh, morning show in West Palm Beach, my home station, WJNO, which is where I'm broadcasting from now, and a mid-morning show in uh, WIOD in Miami. And I remember February 2nd well because I was just wrapping up my show in Miami. It was just before noon Eastern time, and we had this breaking news about the Nunes memo 
the Devin Nunes memo and the release of the findings from the Republican investigation into the FISA warrant surveillance fiasco. And I happened to be filling in for Mark Levin that day. It was a Friday. And so I'm like, okay, well, I guess I know what I'm going to be doing for the next few hours before the show. And trying to figure out what was going on, all I did was just take down every single fact. Now, it was very concise what Devin Nunes laid out on February the 2nd. But I just put down every single fact. And then I started looking through it, and I went, okay, I've got 30 different facts here. 30 statements of fact. And I ended up calling that my 30-count indictment. And I went through all the claims on this show and said, now we wait and see. Because you had... Schiff, Democrats, that were going to come out with their own findings. And I was like, you know, we we can wait and see if these end up holding up. What's fascinating is when we did end up getting the Schiff memo, when we did get the Democrats' answer some weeks later, there were only four of the claims, four of the claims that were even specifically called into question. Yes, rhetorically, you heard the left Continue to say, oh, it's not credible. It's, you know, it's just politically motivated, everything. But again, you got two sides to every story, but one side of facts. So these statements of fact and the Nunes memo and the Republicans' findings were either true or they weren't. Now, here's the fascinating thing. That was February the 2nd. Here we are in the second half of September. And guess what? Guess what? All of the co-conspirators that are alleged are still alleged co-conspirators. We have two of them that are still serving in the federal government. So we've had a lot of time and not any accountability yet. And I believe that the single most important function of the Trump presidency is this. The pervasiveness of the corruption should all of this hold up. And the more information we receive, it only seems to corroborate it. That is the most important thing. That Donald Trump will have done because what we have seen is that from the State Department to the FBI, highest levels of the State Department, highest levels of the FBI, highest levels of the Justice Department, we had corruption. And if not for Donald Trump becoming president, we never get to the bottom of it. And we begin to see just how pervasive it's been and how long there has been this developing deep state. Okay, so I'm going to walk you back. Through some of the claims, again, everything here is from February the 2nd. Nothing new. But it all is as true today as we wait for the declassified. Now, why it's so important that Donald Trump do this, that we all have transparency. Remember when, by the way, Barack Obama was going to be the most transparent president ever? Kind of fascinating how much was hidden behind that uh, administration. Now, the very first claim by the Nunes memo, by the Republicans' findings, that both the Department of Justice and the FBI petitioned the FISA court to begin to surveil the Trump campaign advisor, Carter Page, on October 21st, 2016, just two and a half weeks before the election. Okay, so the Department of Justice and the FBI, they corroborated to petition the FISA court. We know that to be true. No disputing it. The second claim, was that the application had to be certified by the FBI's director or deputy director, the attorney general or deputy attorney general, or uh, the assistant AG to the NSA. One of those officials had to certify it. 
So then you can begin to apply names. That is absolutely known to have taken case. It's beyond dispute. Here's the third claim from the Nunes memo. The initial warrant on Carter Page was issued and renewed three times every 90 days, which wasn't just the two and a half weeks now before the election, but took you all the way through about the first six months of the Trump presidency. So the conspiracy was carried out before he was president and after he was president. That is now known to be fact as well, beyond dispute. You notice a trend here? Fourth claim. FBI Director James Comey signed three warrants. Right at the top of the co-conspirators and everything that has been spelled out is none other than James Comey. Which, by the way, you know the most annoying thing about his book was the name. I mean, Tall Tales by James Comey. Always should have been the name of the book. Anyway, uh, fifth claim. FBI Director Andrew McCabe also signed one of those FISA warrant requests. Okay, so now we have names that we're signing to this. James Comey is a co-conspirator. Andrew McCabe is a co-conspirator. Next up, Deputy Attorney General Sally Yates signed one. Oh, okay, so she's in on this. Then we had another Deputy Attorney General, Dana Bonetta, that signed one. Okay, so now our co-conspirator list continues to grow. Oh, and here we go. The eighth claim, Deputy Attorney General Rod Rosenstein signed one. And how fascinating is this? Because here we have somebody, because Jeff Sessions does whatever he does. I think he goes around the the country and goes, hey, I'm the justice guy. And then Rod Rosenstein, who actually is a co-conspirator in all this, runs the Justice Department. It's fascinating. Uh, And and so we have a co-conspirator. We we have Jeff Sessions, who recused himself from life, I think. And then you have Rod Rosenstein, who is cited as a co-conspirator against the President of the United States, who is not. Uh, I mean, anybody have rationale for this one? Next claim, Christopher Steele, the name you know well, the Steele dossier, was an FBI source. Now, before I go any further, everything I've given you to this point is beyond dispute. Doesn't matter what political aisle you adhere to, doesn't matter who you let, this is all fact. James Comey signed off, Andrew McCain signed off, Sally Yates, Dana Bonetta, Rod Rosenstein, and Christopher Steele's involvement. Now, we're just getting warmed up because that only takes you through nine, and again, they're worth 30. So, ultimately, you begin to see how this whole thing came together. And again, we're reliving history here, but I think it's important because this is the basis for what we're going to get more information about based upon whatever it is that is ultimately disseminated disseminated to us Uh, as the president clears these documents for public dissemination, whatever is brought to us. Now, your 10th claim, that Christopher Steele was paid by the DNC and the Clinton campaign to create it, and the law law firm uh, Perkins Coy and Fusion GPS were involved in that. That's also known to be fact. No one disputes that. And we know that the purpose was to obtain derogatory information on Trump. Anybody dispute that? No. Okay, so here we are now a third of the way into everything that Devin Nunes disseminated on February the 2nd. 
And now one thing here is even disputed. Okay, next up. Funding of the dossier by the DNC and the Clinton campaign was never disclosed to the FISA court. Never. Still not disputed. Seven months ago, more than seven months ago, all publicly disseminated. Next up. The DOJ and the FBI officials who signed off on it knew, knew that the DNC and the Clinton campaign paid for it to be created. And still, no dispute of that. The FISA request deliberately left the funding source of the dossier out of the warrant request despite knowing that it was Fusion GPS. And the reason that matters is because Fusion GPS, Christopher Steele, was known to have been fired, been terminated by the FBI because he had credibility issues. They deliberately left that information out. And again, none of this, as of now, for what we know, let alone what we don't that is coming, is in dispute. And now we're halfway through the 30 statements of fact the 30-count indictment, of you will, if you will, from Devin Nunes. And I'll get to the other half coming up next. I'm Brian Mudd, and for the great one. Mudd Lovin. I want total transparency. This is a witch hunt. Republicans are seeing it. The Democrats know it's a witch hunt, too, but they don't want to admit it because that's not good politics for them. But it's a terrible witch hunt, and it's hurt our country. And uh, the things that have been found over the last couple of weeks about text messages back and forth are a disgrace to our nation. President earlier today talking about why he is declassifying many of the documents related to the Carter Page FISA warrant request and the surveilling of the Trump administration. Now, I left off halfway through the 30 statements of fact, the 30-count indictment, if you will, that put together for you on February 2nd based upon the Devin Nunes memo, the Republican findings. Now, keep in mind, this is seven and a half months ago, and now one of the first 15, now one to date, has been refuted. Now, the president in that soundbite was talking about some of the recent developments that we learned from the additional texts that have been revealed between uh, Peter Strzok and Lisa Page and how they were actually planting stories in the media to use that as evidence before the FISA court that just came out and became public information within the last week or so. Now, that is interesting because that goes right to number 16, the 16th claim, the 16th statement of fact. And the Nunes memo, again, on February 2nd. And that claim was that on September 23rd of 2016, Yahoo News ran a story linking Carter Page to Moscow that was used in the FISA request as corroborating evidence. Now, at that time, it was very specific, but we didn't know anything else about it. It was just Devin Nunes saying, hey, this happened. The 17th claim was that Christopher Steele was the person who leaked the story to Yahoo News. Well, guess what? Isn't that exactly what we found out within the past week by virtue of the text from Peter Strzok and Lisa Page? So Devin Nunes, this very specific claim, 
Not all wet. We have evidence from two FBI agents that corroborates what he's saying. The 18th claim. The FISA request says that Steele was not the source of the Yahoo story. Now, why does that matter? Because once again, we see that there was a deliberate effort to withhold information that they were planting false evidence that they were creating the need for this FISA warrant request. They were creating the backdrop to surveil. That's the second time, the second time that we have evidence of it taking place. The 19th claim in the Nunes memo against seven and a half months ago now. In a British court, Christopher Steele cited that he was the source of the Yahoo News story. Oh, holy shoot. I mean, kind of a big deal. But again, not something that was disseminated stateside. 20th claim that the law firm, Perkins Coy, the DNC and, and Clinton law firm, that they were the funding source that was aware of the steel leak. So here you had the DNC, Hillary Clinton's campaign, and their law firm all in on the plot, all knew what was going on. Huh. Fascinating, isn't it? And again, none of this to date has been refuted. Next up, we find that Perkins Coy, the law firm, once again held a meeting with Steel Infusion GPS after the leak to discuss how they would handle things going forward. This was all leading up to the FISA warrant request. The next claim, Steele was suspended and fired after revealing he was an FBI source to Mother Jones because there were two sources that were used. One was the Yahoo News leak. The other was Mother Jones. The Mother Jones leak happened on October 30th. Now, remember, when was this FISA warrant request? Yes, just two and a half weeks before the presidential election, right in this time period we're talking about here. But here is the next piece that it continues to become even more outrageous. After being fired by the FBI... You had Christopher Steele maintaining contact with the Justice Department with who? None other than Deputy Attorney General Bruce Orr. Now, how did that happen? How did Bruce Orr come about? Well, guess what? Because we found out that Bruce Orr's wife was what? Working with Christopher Steele at Fusion GPS. The stuff you cannot make up. And again... This is what was in the Nunes memo made public going all the way back seven and a half months ago. How much of this sounds familiar if you've been following the news cycle? And nobody took it seriously back then on the left side of the aisle. This is what's at stake. We're going to wrap this up and get some of your thoughts coming up. I'm Brian Mudd, and for the great one, Mark Levin. With a daily fake news dump pouring through your TV, mobile phones and computers, you may have missed some real news like the recent study in the journal Cell Metabolism. Scientists suspected a correlation between growing rates of obesity and processed foods, but what this study discovered was that these foods also appear to lead people to overeat. Here's the bottom line. You need fresh fruits and vegetables in your diet, which is why I recommend that you start taking Field of Greens by Brickhouse Nutrition. Just one scoop of Field of Greens 
has a full serving of real USDA-certified organic fruits and vegetables. It helps boost your immunity using antioxidants, prebiotics, and probiotics. This is real food, not some fake supplement lab powder. Just read the nutrition facts panel on the side. Go to BrickHouseLevin.com, that's BrickHouseLevin.com, and you'll get 15% off your first order with the offer code LEVIN. You know you're not going to start cooking fresh fruits and vegetables, so let's not pretend. Just get one full cup of fruits and one full cup of vegetables every day with Field of Greens. Go to BrickHouseLevin.com, BrickHouseLevin.com, offer code LEVIN. Levin, the most popular conservative author in America. Call in to the Mark Levin Show now at 877-381-3811. I don't think the FBI really should be involved because they don't want to be involved. If they wanted to be, I would certainly uh, do that. But as you know, they say this is not really their thing. But I think politically speaking, uh, the senators will do a very good job. (laughs) All right, so... That is actually President Trump talking about the FBI and any potential investigation into the Brett Kavanaugh situation. I want you to think about this for a moment. The absolute absurdity of, at this stage, trying to have an FBI investigation about the Brett Kavanaugh situation. It happened 36 years ago, and the allegation is that Brett Kavanaugh held down this girl and touched her inappropriately on the outside of her clothing. And that is... Something that necessitates an FBI investigation. I mean, could you imagine if every type of situation like that required an FBI investigation 36 years after the fact? We would need a a lot more FBI agents. But the FBI, they have plenty of their own problems. Part of the reason I found that to be amusing is the way that politically the left wants to use the FBI. Because we're right in the middle of the 30-count indictment from the Nunes memo from February the 2nd. By the way, I'm Brian Mudd in for the great one, Mark Levin. Mark is observing Yom Kippur. We'll be back with us tomorrow. Now, everything that I have brought you up to this point, stuff I shared with you seven and a half months ago, just straight out of what Devin Nunez, who is an American hero for the work he has done in the face of the deep state, everything I've shared with you has held up. In fact, as we have slowly gotten trickles of information, It only has corroborated what we ended up hearing through this memo from Devin Nunes on February the 2nd. And as we are waiting for the declassified documents from President Trump, whatever it is that is going to be disseminated, this is important as the premise, as the backdrop to what we have so many more questions than answers about, but ultimately a conspiracy That at this point, as it stands, far bigger than anything this country has experienced, certainly bigger than Watergate. And the reason is the extensiveness of the corruption. You're talking about having the highest levels of the State Department, the Justice Department, the FBI, all in on a grand conspiracy to surveil and do whatever the heck they were doing with a candidate for president of the United States, and then the president-elect and the president of the United States. That is something that we have to get to the bottom of, and people ultimately have to be held accountable. And what we have found 
is that the corruption within the deep state so pervasive. We have a Justice Department being run right now by a co-conspirator, Rod Rosenstein, one of the folks mentioned here. We cannot expect, without more information and public pressure, the rule of law to matter. We can't expect justice to be served. We can't expect Jeff Sessions, evidently, to do his job. And that's a whole other deal. I mean, once we get past the midterms, thankfully, I think we're going to have a new attorney general. But in the meantime, we have a whole lot that needs to be accounted for. Now, wrapping up the 30 statements of fact from the Nunes memo, mentioned and I left off with us finding out that Bruce Orr's wife, Bruce Orr, involved at the Justice Department, after Christopher Steele was fired, was no longer being used, he was able to continue to get information to the Justice Department. Why? Well, because Bruce Orr's wife was working with them, being paid, and none of that was disclosed. It was deliberately omitted from the FISA warrant request. And then we have another name that enters the mix. One more co-conspirator here. You have the FBI Counterintelligence Assistant Director, Bill Priestep, who cited the dossier investigation as only being in its, quote, infancy at the time of the initial FISA warrant request. Now, he's the only person here who tried to put the brakes on this entire thing. And have you heard his name? Have you heard from him at all? Well, no. Now, why is that? Why do you think that is? The one person that tried to put the brakes on. Now, who's running the FBI? Who has been involved at the FBI? James Comey, again, his boss was the lead co-conspirator in this. He signed off on more FISA warrant requests related to this conspiracy than anybody else. I think that might have been part of the reason why we never really heard from him. The only person that Nunes found tried to put the brakes on this, the only person at a high level at the Justice Department, at the FBI, that wasn't in on the conspiracy and the corruption, 29th claim, James Comey offered a summation of the dossier to President-elect Donald Trump in January of 2017. But guess what he didn't tell him? Any of the background. Didn't tell him anything that we knew to be true. That it was based upon planted BS evidence by a corrupt and discredited source paid for by the DNC and the Hillary Clinton campaign funneled through their law firm and involved him as the lead co-conspirator. All of those minor details were left out when James Comey briefed President-elect Donald Trump. Slight omission. And the 30th and final claim, that Deputy Director Andrew McCabe testified in December 2017 that the warrants would not have been issued without the dossier. Now, if you're wondering some of the information that we might end up getting that is disseminated to us, could be something like that. Because we're going to hear a lot of what we haven't heard, like what went on with some of this backdoor testimony. Andrew McCabe, according to Devin Nunes, testified that this fraudulent dossier was the only way they were able to persuade the FISA court to get the surveillance. So think that is kind of a big deal. Now, take a look at what's going on in the media's handling of all this. Media Research Center does great work, the folks in Newsbusters. 
They have been tracking the coverage of the Trump administration. Here we are in the best economy in a generation. 91% of the news coverage of the Trump administration is negative. 91%. Now, you take a look at the headlines associated with the declassification. I mean, one after another after another. You would think the president is putting the country at risk. Everywhere you turn, there's a negative headline about how dangerous it is. Now, why do you think that is? How much does the deep state have on the line here? How many co-conspirators should justice be served and all of this is held up as true? How many of these people should be behind bars for the rest of their lives? How many people in the media are corrupt as hell and are connected to this? That's the other thing we don't know yet, aside from their overall politics. It's an outrage. And that is what's on the line. And I say again. Not the legacy on the Supreme Court, not the economy, or any other policy. The single most important function. Now, I had no clue originally I had, until I started to connect the dots and put pieces together after like this Nunes memo back in February. This hadn't dawned on me. But the single most important function of Donald Trump as president of the United States is this. Cleaning up and dealing with the deep state corruption at the highest levels of our government. The levels of government that allow someone like Hillary Clinton to commit crimes at the highest level, endangering every American, and to walk, doing whatever it is that she's doing today, which is going to be probably a 1,000 miles away from Bill Clinton. That's where we are in this country. And again, we're either equal under the law or we're not. We either address the premise of our system of government or we're corrupt as hell and we're a banana republic. And we have been dangerously close to being the banana republic. And not the clothes that happen to fit me well off the rack, which is rare because I'm only five foot six. Uh, Pete, uh, welcome to the show. Pete from Long Island, go. How you doing? Brian, uh, as I said to the young man before, uh, people have to stand up. People have to march on Washington to force these people out of office. I mean, they're costing... Every taxpayer money, as long as they stay in there, we got to get them out. And people have to do it. Okay? It's like the old West. You had a lynch mob. Okay? And I'm not saying do that kind of thing, but right. Okay, good. Together. Yes, I would have to part ways with you at that point, yes. <laughs> and get down there and get them out of office. Get them out of their positions. They don't belong in there. So that's a great point, Pete. Let's talk about that now. What happens, what happens in November if Democrats take Congress back? The only reason we have the information I just shared with you that we've had for over seven and a half months that has helped provide the information even to the president to this point to reveal the pervasiveness of the corruption within our government. What happens to all of that and to any of this progress if Democrats take back Congress. They That's what's to, on the line here. They're going to hide it. They're going to You got it. Cover it up whatever way they can. Okay? Their agenda is to take this country over and make it a socialistic country. 
Ooh, you're touching on another topic there, and that's a good one. I'm going to talk about the whole socialistic deal, and I'm going to talk about something that's going on here in Florida that could end up being a proxy for the rest of the country in just a little bit. So uh, that's a, a good segue into something else that is a bigger part of this entire picture. But, yes, that is the importance of this election. We are often, you know, kind of driven to hear that, hey, whatever election is the next one in front of us is the most important in our lifetime because of X. Well, this midterm election is about as important as any I can remember for the very reasons we're talking about. Because if our government is corrupt, I mean, what else is there? You know, you can sit there and debate party politics all day long, but if they're corrupt as hell, doesn't necessarily even matter at that point. And we're talking about dealing with the corruption at the highest levels of our government. So that is a much bigger part of this entire picture. And it's the reason that you damn well better get out and vote in 48 days. And you damn well better find the other folks who went out there and voted two years ago and make sure they get out and do the same thing. Because, again, if Democrats get Congress, this is over. What we have in front of us right now is going to be buried. And it's going to be replaced by the impeachment calls in the House in particular. That is what we're going to be dealing with. Uh, so, you know, you got to ask yourself, and, and this is the question that I always offer up for folks on the other side of the aisle. Do you want to live in a country that is corrupt and that you know if you're being honest with yourself? Because, again, nothing I just cited in the 30-count indictment from the Nunes memo on February the 2nd to this point has been refuted. In fact, much of it has already been corroborated. Do you want to live in a country that is corrupt as hell as long as it fits your politics today? And, of course, the danger of that is there will come a day where you don't like the politics again. And if it's corrupt as hell, what happens when now it's going the other way? We got to get back to the premise. We got to get back to what's right. And again, this particular issue above all others, my view, is the most important function and the most important legacy of this president. But it comes down to the midterms to finish the job. It's going to need that. I'm Brian Mudd, in for the great one. Mark Lovin. will be heard. And of course, Judge Kavanaugh will have the opportunity to defend himself against this accusation. Ah, good old Mitch McConnell. There is no one less motivating in politics than Mitch McConnell, by the way. And occasionally he's effective and he surprises you. But I mean, I listen to him and I'm like, I got no confidence in this guy ever. Uh, but nevertheless, the question is, will Christine Blassie Ford be heard and not because she's not being given the opportunity, but because, well, maybe she doesn't want to testify. Maybe she doesn't want to go to this hearing. You know what? what? Yeah, no, we, we heard uh, what a few hours ago now, most recently from her attorney that no, she wants an FBI investigation and she'll talk after there's been an FBI investigation. Say what? Does that necessarily make sense? And if you're trying to war game this for a moment, I'm going to walk you down a couple of paths. We talked about this uh, a little bit last hour. So if you are going to take a look at uh, the, the approach, remember that she was going to be anonymous. And that's the whole reason that the political hack, Dianne Feinstein, sat on this thing. Now, you actually could assert, and, and there is potentially 
a breach of duty that Dianne Feinstein engaged in by sitting on this because she's on the Judiciary Committee. She upholds an oath of office, also has responsibility to that committee with anything that would be significant for the consideration of Brett Kavanaugh. And she withheld it. So she could have her own problems. Now, we know that in the grand scheme of things, even if she did end up, uh, you know, violating her oath, that, hey, you know, eh, she's she's a Democrat. She's fine. But nevertheless, it's worth stating. Now, in the context of the anonymous and now hearing that, well, Christine doesn't seemingly want to go on Monday and do this hearing, we find out that. The polygraph test, which you might have heard about, by the way, when you hear a lie detector, that's bullcrap. A polygraph is not a lie detector test. It's not credible that way. That's why it's not admissible in court, as an aside. But we find out that she ended up doing this when? About a month ago, in August. Now, riddle me this one. Riddle me this one. If you have someone who is intending to remain anonymous... And isn't trying to play potentially a game corroborated with one Diane Feinstein here. Why would you have a polygraph test about a month ago? Bueller? Anybody? Who has an answer for that one? Maybe that's part of the reason why Christine, I don't know. Maybe she's not jumping at the opportunity to go do this hearing. Again, we got two sides to stories, one side of facts. Brett saying, I wasn't even at a party that... And we've got her saying, hey, I was gripped by him. Hmm. So somebody's telling the truth here. Somebody isn't. Question is, why she doesn't want to tell her side of the story at this point? Why she wants an FBI investigation? But you're going, hold on. If she's saying she'll talk after the FBI investigation, well, that doesn't necessarily make sense. Oh, it makes all the sense of the world. Here's why. What is the ultimate game here? Well, the ultimate game is to deny Donald Trump, not just Brett Kavanaugh, but another Supreme Court justice, right? Well, yeah, but, I mean, if Kavanaugh goes down, then you have somebody else that's put out there. Sure, but there's a process, right? We know it takes time. Who knows how long we can drag this Kavanaugh thing out, especially if we have an FBI investigation. But guess what? If we get the Senate this fall and we can get to January, Trump doesn't get anybody. That's the end game here. whole lot more coming up for you next hour. And uh, man, oh man, on the economy, some really great stuff. Continue this conversation as well. By the way, Levin TV, 9 o'clock. Mark did a new show. Check it out. Brian Mudd, in for the great one, Mark Levin. He's here. He's here. Now, broadcasting from the underground command post. Deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Judge Kavanaugh is anxious to do it. I don't know about the other party, but Judge Kavanaugh is very anxious to do it. And a delay is certainly acceptable. We want to get to the bottom of everything. We want everybody to be able to speak up and to speak out. And the only question is whether or not Christine wants to speak up and speak out. Because, again, the last word we had is that, well, she doesn't want to uh, join this hearing on Monday. Huh. 
But she does want an, an FBI investigation. Because, again, if you have an allegation about uh, having been inappropriately touched on the outside of your clothing by a 16-year-old boy 36 years ago, that always should necessitate an FBI investigation. I mean, that makes perfect sense. Uh, it, this is backcrap crazy territory that we're wandering in right now, only it's something that's mildly significant. Uh, by the way, I'm, I'm still cracking up. Somebody just uh, sent me a meme that said, uh, it, it's of Ruth Bader Ginsburg, said Lincoln grabbed my ass. I uh, had to uh, to recover from that one. A lot of good material out there right now. Uh, now, a couple things. By the way, I am Brian Mudd, broadcasting uh, from my home station, WJNO, uh, in West Palm Beach. I do a morning show here. Then I transition about 50 miles to the south. I do a mid-morning show for WIOD in Miami, and I'm a uh, guest contributor to Fox News. Now, uh, the great one. Speaking of TV stuff, the great one himself, right after this show, in less than an hour, less than an hour, Levin TV, Levin TV. Go to LevinTV.com, and you can hear the great one on Kavanaugh. So go check that out. I can't miss material. And by the way, your fearless leader will be back with you tomorrow. Uh, So uh, fear not. Now, uh, so much territory I wanted to cover. I'm going to prioritize here a little bit. Something that I wanted to address specific to what's going on here in Florida that you might be somewhat aware of, but I want to give you the rest of the lay of the land on. What happens in Florida politically does not stay in Florida. And I'm not just talking about us being the ultimate swing state and, and that type of thing. I'm talking about our particular governor's race this year. Now, you might have heard about the dynamic that's going on here in Florida. You had the establishment candidate, and this is fascinating, by the way. This is truly fascinating. Adam Putnam, our agriculture commissioner for another few months here in Florida, has the best statewide track record of any Republican in the state of Florida's history. Jeb Bush, as popular as he was, the best he did was about an 11-point victory when he ran for re-election. We do not have statewide races where Republicans win by double digits. It just doesn't happen. Now, Adam Putnam, our agriculture commissioner, won two statewide races by 18 points. 18 points! So again, the best track record statewide in the history of any Republican. He was the establishment guy in the primary. Ron DeSantis whom you might be familiar with, in part because of his role in congressional investigations, also spent a lot of face time on Fox News. But statewide, relative unknown, certainly didn't have the name recognition of Adam Putnam. Donald Trump endorsed Ron DeSantis, and the Republican, with the support of the party and the best track record of any Republican in our state, Went down by about 20 points to Ron DeSantis in the primaries we just had in August. Now, let's move this forward a little bit. The Democrats. You also had a different version of a similar thing. Florida's Democrats are typically not your left-wing radicals. Not statewide. Just as Florida typically has what you would associate with an establishment Republican, a la a Jeb Bush, Our Democrats statewide also tend to resemble somebody who is left of center, certainly, but is not in Nancy Pelosi territory 
let alone in Bernie Sanders territory. Here's what happened. Without the support of the Democratic Party, without any support from the establishment on the left, you had Andrew Gillum, who ended up receiving the Bernie Sanders endorsement. And to the surprise of almost everybody on the left, he was polling even within about three weeks prior to the primary, about 20 points behind. He ended up writing that Bernie Sanders endorsement, getting a bunch of undecided Democrats, most of which young in the state, to break for him. And he pulled out a three-point win over Gwen Graham, the Democrats' establishment choice. Now, why does this matter? Here's the first thing that's important to you generally. We are in a day and age, and I've talked about this quite a bit over the past year. We are now in a time where the downside politically in this country on the left is not Nancy Pelosi. You remember 15 years ago when we used to go, yeah, Nancy Pelosi, how crazy that is. That's not where we are anymore. We're in a place where Bernie Sanders is the new normal on the left. The guy who was actually a socialist that only actually was a Democrat when he decided to run for president. So then we have what is kind of the Democrats' version of the Tea Party. You have socialism that is the Democrats' Tea Party. And you have Crowley going down in, Queen, in Queens in the Bronx. And you have Cortez. She's a socialist. I don't know what the hell she's doing. Even more close than most. And now we got Andrew Gillum. Now here's the risk. Obviously Florida. Third most populous state. Ultimate swing state in the entire country. And by the way, we have had a full-term governor, Rick Scott, Republican. We are controlled at the state level by Republicans. Solid majority in the state legislature. And oh, by the way, since the Great Recession, our governor has had the second-best track record in the entire country. We've created the second-most jobs. Our economy has been on fire. Our economy in the state has been growing at nearly 1% above the national average since the Great Recession. Here in South Florida, our tri-county area, you hear about it all the time. It freaks the heck out of Republicans because you're always going, okay, in, in close elections, what's going on in Palm Beach County and Broward County and Miami-Dade? That's where I am down here, okay? And, yes, we are the minority on the right. But what is starting to happen here is that you are seeing the focus on Andrew Gillum, this socialist, this Democratic socialist by Democrats, He now does have the party support. He now does have money. Two days after our primaries at the end of August in Florida, Ron DeSantis ended up gaining $522,000 in donations. Andrew Gillum brought in more than $4 million. That's what's going on. And what's happening here, Andrew Gillum leading in every single poll Since the primary. We're in a situation where we have the possibility of Florida, a state with a track record economically, 
that's about as good as any in the country. Incredible success. And there's a chance that we could have a socialist as our next governor. And he just smashed the Democrats in Florida. So here's the deal. If that happens, you're no longer going to see the Democrats shun the Andrew Gillums of their party. They're going to begin to embrace it rather than fighting what's been going on. If that happens, and if we can have a governor who is a Democratic Socialist in Florida, I'm telling you that wherever you are, you can have a socialist that ends up taking office. And somewhere along the way, we'll end up looking right to find Nancy Pelosi. Elections have always had consequences. I don't care if it's the dog catcher, let alone something like a governor. But now more than ever, it is critical because the divide between the parties and the candidates so often has never been wider. This on top of the point I was making last hour, that in terms of actually getting justice, rooting out the deep state, finishing these investigations, we're not going to get there if Democrats take control. But the other issue is whether or not the new norm is a socialist in the Democratic Party. Because once they begin to embrace that party-wide, I mean, hold your butts. That's what's on the line for us. Meanwhile, and this is fascinating, how good is the economy? It's never been better. Guess what? According to us. According to us. Remember when President Trump was saying, yeah, best economy ever. And you have all the folks in uh, the news media going, oh, a bunch of garbage. Hold on. Gallup. Yes, John Gallup, uh, his organization... It's, Gallup has been around since 1939, polling on the particular question of the top issue. And what we have found most recently is that a record low number of Americans cite the economy as a top concern. Just 12% of Americans. Why? Well, because we have the best prosperity we've had in their polling. The previous record low, 13% in 1999. And to give you an idea of how far we've come, a record high 86% of Americans cited the economy as a top concern entering 2009, and right around 40% still did when Donald Trump took office. So we do have the best economy, not just in the words of Donald Trump, but in the words of the average American. And by the way, it's punctuated by the best economic growth we've had in 13 years, Best real unemployment rate we've had in over 17 years. The lowest unemployment rate, the base rate, in 18 years. Best year-over-year wage growth in 10 years. And the highest increase in net take-home pay in 32 years. Oh, and by the way, record low unemployment for minorities and women. You know, the people that Trump hates, for example. And I'm going to bring you more of that information. We'll talk about it coming up next. I'm Brian Mudd, and for the great one. Mudd Lovin'. Justice Scalia's seat for 10 months. And now they're saying we can't take an additional few weeks to get the truth at a very serious allegation? What hypocrisy. Oh, a serious allegation. Here's a serious allegation. Chuck Schumer, I spent 15 minutes today of my life listening to him that I never get back. 
I am closer to death because I listened to Chuck Schumer and got nothing out of it, nothing of value. In fact, I probably wasted hours of my life. He sucked hours out of my life that I never get back. So I have in part died because of Chuck Schumer. It's a serious allegation right there. I think we should do something about it, Chuck. In fact, I'm pretty sure that you just scare the crap. Like, and, and by the way, just as an aside, if ever, remember the uh, Devil's Advocate, that movie? Now, if we were going to recast the the role of, uh, you know, the big one, Chuck Schumer. I mean, come on. Tell me. <laughs> and he, there, no acting required. I'm just saying, he scared the crap out of anybody. But here's the bigger deal. When we're talking about the overall process, and he, and I've heard this a lot, oh, Merrick Garland, bull crap. Elections have consequences. We've been talking about that throughout the course of the show today. And here's the deal. Yes, Barack Hussein Obama was the duly elected president of the United States, and he nominated Merrick Garland, which was his constitutional right. But guess what? You and I, by virtue of our system of government, also elect senators, and we gave Republicans the majority in this country. Now, they also had their constitutional role, which is either to confirm or not to confirm. Now, because Republicans controlled the United States Senate, they chose not to move forward with the process for Merrick Garland, which was their right to do so. When you're talking about what we've got in front of us now, there aren't any freaking thing that's similar, except that Republicans still control the United States Senate. So you cannot compare what happened with Merrick Garland, which was the will of the voters by virtue of our system of government, to what's going on now, which is the effort to take out in the 11th hour Brett Kavanaugh. And again, the president has said it. Mitch McConnell has said it. I haven't heard a leading Republican voice out there that has suggested that Christine Blasley Ford should not be heard. But guess who we have heard from that says that, well, yeah, maybe she she's not going to be heard. Oh, her attorney. Because her attorney, uh, as of a few hours ago, said, yeah, she's not looking to, uh, to, to do this hearing on Monday. She wants an FBI investigation. So you got a lot of folks that are saying, yeah, we'll delay the uh, the committee vote on Kavanaugh. We'll have this hearing on Monday. We just don't have the actual accuser that has agreed to do it yet. I mean, just one of those things that makes you go, hmm, right? Now, talking about Congress and the overall makeup of it, do a series every week called Who'd Control Congress Today? I do it on Wednesdays, and I went ahead and prepared it just a bit ago for tomorrow. And... Here's the deal. This would go in the category of there's reason to be concerned, but don't entirely. Let your heart be troubled. You have Democrats that are not gaining momentum on the generic ballot at this point. And the generic ballot matters more in midterm elections than you might think. Since the point age in the 1930s, there's never been a midterm election cycle in which the party favored on the generic ballot did not fare best. And if you know your history, you know that the President's party generally suffers in midterm elections. In fact, the average is that the president's party will lose four seats in the Senate and 30 seats in the House. Now, if that happens, guess what? Democrats get the whole ball of wax. Now, of course, the Senate map is not favorable for Democrats this year. That should help Republicans regardless. Uh, but the House very much in play. 30 seats turns things over, and we are seeing that it is at this point very much at risk. But where are we in the grand scheme of things? 
for the past two weeks, despite a lot of what you might be reading or hearing about in the GSS media, that would be the Godless Souls and Slanderous News media that makes stuff up and disseminates it, they have been talking increasingly about a wave. But guess what? For the past two weeks, we've actually seen polling go back the other way. Right now, the average advantage for Democrats, about six points. About six points. Now, what does that mean? The House is a toss-up, and the Senate, as of today, would likely stay in Republican hands. We'll talk more about this and the implications coming up on the other side. Get your thoughts as well. I'm Brian Mudd, and for the great one, Mark Levin. The Mark Levin Show, where we create the talking points. Call in now, 877-381-3811. So it's unfortunate. He is an incredible man. He's an incredible intellect. Uh, He will make an incredible Supreme Court justice, but we feel that we want to go through a process. Uh, We want to hear both sides. Well, there you go. The problem is we, we just might not be able to hear both sides because Christine's suddenly going quiet, seemingly. Maybe she'll change her mind. Uh, it's kind of interesting. Her attorney told us, hey, uh, this hearing money, she doesn't want to do it. I wonder what goes on there. Hmm. Anyway, uh, interested in getting your thoughts. We've been talking about uh, several different things, including what's been going on with uh, the politics here in Florida and how we actually have a Democratic Socialist who is the Democrats' nominee for governor and uh, much to my fear, is leading in every single poll so far after uh, the primaries that we had in late August and also the uh, the implications of the midterm elections on uh, getting to the bottom of the deep state and the president being able to finish his job along with folks like Devin Nunes. Uh, let's go to Tim in California. Tim, go. Hello. Hey. Hey there. I was just going to uh, mention, you know, we're coming up to 45 days for the election. I think we need to be vocal uh, for 45 I'm going to go out with my sign out here in Liberal Claremont, and it's going to say, do you really want Maxine Waters to have subpoena power? Boy, that ought to scare the crap out of every Republican. I I, I hope you're right. But the one thing that is uh, scary about somebody like Maxine, there are people that vote for her. Oh, yeah. Uh, Yeah, that's that's really scary. But she'd be able to... Subpoena his records, Trump's records, financials. I mean, it's it's mind-boggling to think if she and we'd have to see her every single day. Oh, <laughs> I'm not traveling down that path, but yes. Otherwise, I hear you and I understand it. And by the way, I'm here in the land of Elsie Al- Hastings and Debbie Wasserman Schultz. Which, by the way, Debbie Wasserman Schultz may no longer have her post at the head of the uh, Democratic Party, but she is still a Congresswoman in Broward. So. I uh, I sit there and and I take a look at uh, my my fellow South Floridians and it pains me. I I shake my head and I wonder how we can do these things. Uh, so yes, the Im- importance that we uh, perhaps scare people into uh, making a sound decision. But the one thing that I will say, and this is something I've been asked a, a lot over the years, how is it that you ultimately can make a difference in persuading somebody politically? Because here's what happens almost inevitably. We all know people that we are opposed to politically, and they tend to be vocal. You're liable to be vocal back, 
And do you ever get anywhere? Have you ever changed changed their mind? The biggest issue we have in being persuasive politically is we find the people who are the least likely to be open-minded about politics, and we argue with them. And it turns into a monkey feces fight until everybody's frustrated, and then you pack up your things and you go home. Now, you got to figure out the people that are open to information, and you got to inform them. It's the only way you can make a difference. By the way, uh, this is something that I found to be the case. It's just a matter of reaching them. A lot of folks have written off the millennial generation, and that is a huge mistake. The first thing that was a clue going back, I don't know, about six years ago for me, I started taking a look at uh, some of the financial habits and some of the information that we were getting about how they were managing their day-to-day lives. And I was like, holy cow, the millennial generation, as they were all coming into adulthood, they're more conservative with their money than Gen Xers and boomers. Very conservative, to a fault, by the way, afraid to invest the product of the Great Recession. And so that's a whole other issue uh, that I'm going to get into right now. They need to learn how to invest in stocks, greatest wealth, greatest machine, and the history of the world, the United States stock market. But as soon as I saw that, I'm like, shoot, we can reach them. Absolutely. They just need the information. They need to, to, to see an opportunity. And millennials in particular, think about it. You had people that came up, uh, a generation of adults, during the Great Recession. And you had a Republican president that was in place leading up to that. And so uh, they got out of school. And what happened? Life was tough. And so they bought a bill of goods politically, by and large. But we've always known this to be true. We start out generationally more liberal when we're younger. Typical family formation happens. People begin to become open to information. But in particular with millennials, I believe they actually have a chance of being more conservative in terms of politics financially, if nothing else, than other generations. Maybe not socially, but I think that is an important place for all of us to go if you're trying to be persuasive. But you got to find those open-minded individuals. Let's go to Buddy, Buddy in Arkansas. Go. Hey, how's it going, Brian? All good. First time I've heard you. But yeah, appreciate you listening. I just, w- I just wanted to try and remind my fellow Americans that the first time we heard the term democratic socialist, the guy couldn't tell his people that he was a communist. So he made up the term democratic socialist. Who was that? Vladimir Lenin. And what else did Vladimir Lenin say? He said, the goal of socialism is to get to communism. It's a uh, great point, buddy. And there's somebody else uh, that was coming of age during that window of time. And that was none other than Adolf Hitler, the socialist among socialists. Now, folks on the left will say, yeah, but he wasn't a democratic socialist. He was nationalist. That's garbage. How did he take office in Germany? He was elected in a democratic process, if you will. By the way, don't even get me down the path of democracy because we oh, that's something else that hurts my head. There is no such thing as democracy. But to the extent that we buy into the bullcrap of, of democracy, uh, you, you had a democratic process that elected Adolf Hitler. And by the way, uh, this just in, he didn't exactly say, hey, all right, here's the, the game plan once you elect me. We're going we're gonna to go and... And travel down this path. Uh, it wasn't quite that clear. Now, for folks, if they were paying more attention, they could have seen the signs. But nevertheless, uh, very good point, very important point. Socialism is socialism is socialism. People have said that they're one thing. They get elected into office. We see what they're really all about. By the way, speaking of democratic socialism, I talked about my concerns here in Florida. Part of what I'm hoping for, the 
Hispanic folks, like down here in particular. We've got a lot of folks from Central South America and the like, and they're familiar, like from Venezuela, what socialism really is. They understand it a heck of a lot more than these folks that uh, are a product of the public education system and uh, the university system around the country where they've never been uh, you know, taught anything other than the left-wing nonsense. So they actually informationally have been helpful, I think, in beginning to inform people about the risk associated with socialism, which, by the way, uh, Andrew Gillum, though he has been endorsed by Bernie Sanders, I asked him point blank, very nice guy, by the way, uh, do you identify with democratic socialism? He said no. But then every policy position he articulated and that he has articulated, I cannot find any distance between him and Bernie Sanders. So he knows that politically it's toxic, at least in our state in Florida. But the policies, they are what they are. Let's go to Bruce in Florida. Bruce, go. Hi. Thank you for taking my call. I'm going to make a quick point, a little quick trip down history lane here. We started out in this area with a reprobate Tenny Kennedy, and he actually created a, created a verb called borking. We then went on to the Clarence Thomas, and then we had what became the next part, which was the quote-unquote high-tech lynching. And fortunately, at the time, we had Arlen Specter, who was no conservative and no real Republican. In fact, he last was elected as a Democrat. He had, he at least, you know, uh, you know, in an open session, questioned Anita Hill, and it became clear for one and all to see that she had committed perjury and that what she was saying made no sense. We now have a situation which is the next order of in this progression that is totally out of control, where we have Dianne Feinstein, who gets a memo in July, sits on it. Now, after a hearing is closed and over, she springs this. We have an attorney involved who's on Soros's payroll, basically, representing this woman. And I submit that, A, this woman needs to be questioned and interrogated in an open session of Congress, or the committee where proper cross questions can be asked uh, in sunlight. And if her story is true, that's one thing. If it becomes clear that the holes that already exist uh, and the whole thing falls apart, what needs to happen is the Senate needs to censure Dianne Feinstein and make it clear that this entire process can never happen again. You, you have a point. You you absolutely have a point, Bruce, because she has violated, arguably, her duty, her oath. Uh, you know, she is on that Judiciary Committee, which, by the way, giving her history lesson, I'm going to tie a couple things together. One is just kind of a forgotten factoid, I think, by many that's kind of interesting in the perspective of politics today. The presiding senator over that whole fiasco, the Anita Hill, Clarence Thomas deal, none other than Joe Biden, which, by the way, How is it that we ended up with Dianne Feinstein on the Senate Judiciary Committee? It was the whole Anita Hill fiasco. Yes, Clarence Thomas was obviously confirmed, but coming out of that whole deal, it was observed that the entire committee was comprised of men. And so they wanted women that were going to be part of that for the consideration process going forward. So ironically enough, as many similarities as there are between Clarence Thomas and Anita Hill and where we are right now in this conversation... We actually have Dianne Feinstein specifically because of Clarence Thomas and Anita Hill. And once upon a time, Joe Biden resembled something of a pragmatist.
and kind of fascinating. Uh, let's go to Susan, also in Florida. Susan, go. Hi. I'm a 72-year-old female. I've lived other places, but born and raised in Broward County, Florida. My biggest fear, uh, if the Democrat wins governor of Florida, is he will definitely want to have a state income tax and all of the bad things that will come along with it. That is what I talk I'm an insurance agent, specialized in Medicare, long-term care life insurance. And I tell people, if not directly, indirectly, about how, how much do you want to slice your piece of pie? How much thinner do you want it to be? You know, I show them things uh, on graphs and charts that are um, correct and uh, get to them that way. Because when they start thinking about how much it's going to cost them, yeah. Not their party winning, but what? how it's going to affect them personally. It's profound. <laughs> Funny how that works. Uh, appreciate it. Yeah, it's a great point, and that's a, the perfect way to reach people. Again, informationally, when they're open-minded, and especially when it's their finances, something people can understand. And specific to the Andrew Gillum proposal, because he is in the Medicare for All type of camp, uh, along with, by the way, he's running for governor, uh, and part of his message was impeach Trump, which is fascinating uh you know generally uh that i didn't really realize that was part of a, a governor's role but nevertheless andrew gillum for folks in in florida what he has actually proposed to fund his democratic socialism that he denies is democratic socialism is a 40 percent increase in the tax on businesses and i'm concerned too that certainly you know we got two reasons why people come to florida if you're here you know it if you're a snowbird you know it uh if not you probably have heard about it it's our weather and then we don't have a state income tax. And there is a lot of concern, obviously, that that would come in the crosshairs. He has not gone down that path yet. That is toxic. But he is proposing a 40% tax increase on businesses. 40%. And that would go over well. All right. Uh, coming up on the other side, get more of your thoughts and uh, final thoughts for the folks in uh, the crosshairs of Hurricane Florence and the flooding, which is still continuing to get worse in many parts of the Carolinas. And that's next. I'm Brian Mudd. In for the great Mark Lovin. We have thousands of people that we are pushing forward into the field uh, to work case management, to uh, make sure that we get into the communities. You're going to start seeing our people get into the communities as soon as they can. Um, you know, going to community centers, going to shelters, and being able to get out in front and help people register for assistance uh, so that we can start kickstarting recovery. FEMA Director Brock Long talking about what's going on in the Carolinas in the wake of Hurricane Florence. And i um, got a few things I want to talk about pertaining to that particular storm and the risk going forward because something that always drives me crazy uh, about storm coverage is where the emphasis is often placed and in the risk in inadequate coverage, in my view, and, and misplaced priorities. Uh, by the way, I'm Brian Mudd in for the great one, Mark Levin. And in seven minutes, seven minutes from now, LevinTV.com. It's LevinTV.com. Mark has a brand new show on Kavanaugh ready to go for you. So you want the great one on Cav in his own words coming up here. In under seven minutes now. Uh, so LevinTV.com. Now, specific to the uh, storm situation, I'm here in South Florida. 
And I've been through a number of hurricanes over the years, not just in South Florida. We lived around the uh, the southeast. Uh, and there are a couple things that are really important in the context of storms. And the first is to understand what the risk is. 88% of the loss of life with storms, with hurricanes, nothing to do with wind. 88% of the loss of life is the result of water. Storm surge first, flooding second. And... We saw the buildup nationally and to a certain extent uh, in the Carolinas. Though the coverage that I was monitoring it there was more responsible on the flooding side of things early on than a lot of what we saw nationally. But you get the buildup, right? And so when Florence was a Category 4 at 140 mile an hour, top sustained winds, that was the dominant news story nationally. Then you end up seeing that it comes down to 90 miles per hour, top sustained winds by the time it's making landfall. And the instinct, if you're not familiar with the risk associated with these storms, is to think, well, you know, this situation's got a lot better because those winds are so much lower. But again, the wind, that only kills about 5% of the people historically. That's it, about 5%. Uh, it's it's the water. And I'm going to give you an example. Uh, here in South Florida, you had Hurricane Irma came through just over a year ago. And the top sustained winds on that one, when it made landfall in Florida, 140 miles an hour. That category for strong for strength. Already with what's happened with Florence, there's more loss of life than what happened in Florida. Far more populous, far more populous. Getting nailed, 140 miles an hour. It's not the wind the majority of the time. It's the flood and the risk of storm surge. And even with something like Andrew back in 92 here in South Florida, people will take a look at that and go, well, that was the wind. It was. But it wasn't the top sustained winds. Something that a lot of people don't realize is even when it comes down to wind, the risk, tornadic activity, not so much the top sustained winds. There were 61 tornadoes that were spawned by Hurricane Andrew when it came through. And that's the reason you saw parts of South Florida absolutely decimated. The floods are going to continue. The cresting in all the rivers, not going to finish until Saturday. There are people that are likely to lose their lives that are alive today. Be safe, be smart, and thoughts and prayers for all of us to the folks in the Carolinas. May God bless. Been an honor and a pleasure, always is. Brian Mudd, and for the great one, Mark Levin.